That always nice to see. With a nice little, so with a nice, nice. Bark, with a nice bark to start things off. Hey everybody, this is Jeff. I am. Damn luckily, it, you're not supposed to be the first person to make an announcement on the show. Yeah, I guess the the dog is going to host the show. So, anyways, <laughs> so uh, this is Jeff's here. I'm, I'm at the MCU's bleeding edge. I'm moderating this evening. Uh, Cyber is going to um, be on the panel taking a break. He's been working real hard and uh, he hasn't been feeling all that well. So he's uh, you know. Gonna take a chill pill, but um, what's up, Cyber? Um, so, anyways, we uh we have a uh, wonderful ensemble cast this evening. Um, for the second time today on the MCU's Bleeding Edge, we've got Alexis, uh, who is a frequent guest on the MCU's Bleeding Edge and on the Rutherford Broadcasting Network, which is where I found out about her. And a host of a, a couple of dogs who are apparently trying out for Monday Night Raw. Sorry about this guy. Usually the dogs are locked up in uh, my husband's office, but he is out tonight and I can't just put the dogs in the office without someone there because they will destroy everything in his office. So I apologize. I It's so unprofessional, but I'm afraid I got to deal with these two. Family. We also have Lord Bethman from the podcast of champions, sakar.freeforums.net here again. Hey. Say hello. Say hello, Lord Deathman. Hey, everyone. Glad to be here and representing for the champions. Uh, I hope I do them justice on this particular episode of The Bleeding Edge. Champions, champions. And Cyber, we'll definitely do some plugging later on at the end of the show for our personal content and stuff like that. But do you want to um, say anything to everybody in, to the, in the, uh, the streaming community? 
Just uh, thanks for coming on by. If you're listening, thanks for watching the show. We're going to have a blast. We're going to be talking about What If Episode 4. And then a little bit later, we'll be talking about the third Spider-Man trailer, too, as well. So can't wait to get in that. It's great to have everyone involved with the uh, podcast tonight. And looking forward to chatting about. Well, it's good to see you, Cyber. I was very unhappy to hear that you weren't feeling all that well. Um, and it's good to see you back to full strength. Um, you know, and it's going to be back on the MCU's bleeding edge. Um, I don't know. I got to be honest with you. Um, we, uh, I, I, we started late tonight. Um, so we'll see, you know, that might, we might've already lost some people that typically always come on here and check us out at 9.05 PM. And we ran a little bit late this evening, but we're here, um, to go ahead and cover, uh, episode four of the, what if Disney plus series. And, um, you know, uh, basically, we're going to eventually do a Spider-Man 3 trailer, watch and react for like a final segment. We might get into some Rotten Tomato IMBD reviews for episode four. Um, it's kind of difficult, unfortunately, with that kind of stuff because, you know, with us doing the show on Wednesdays and the actual show on the What If shows coming out on Wednesdays, um, sometimes they don't even have the reviews up at this point. But like I said, we'll take time at the end of the show. And um, we will um, go ahead and make sure that everybody gets a chance to plug everything and whatnot. But let's just go ahead and jump right in and do some MCU content to start off. Um, oh, and also, Kurt, thank you very much for jumping in on the comment section. I appreciate you, brother. Um, Kurt is somebody that we are going to be potentially collaborating with. I, I feel horrible, but I cannot remember the name of his podcast right now. But, Kurt, if you can hear me, man, go ahead and drop the name of your podcast so that we can plug you, man. But yeah, we're going to be collaborating with Kurt here sometime in the future. And so, okay, anyways, back to What If Episode 4. Sorry if I'm a little bit uh, scatterbrained here, folks, but I'm just kind of multitasking. Um, episode 4, What If, what I wanted to start things off with, panel, was you guys have all seen the other episodes so far for What If. Where do you, how would you rank things so far with this episode? I mean, where, where would you place this episode amongst what we've seen so far? Because I felt like it was the strongest one that we've had. Um, Cyber, what do you think, man? H how does this, where does this, this episode place? I mean, honestly, I mean, yeah, like you said, it's a very strong episode. It's a very deep episode. It's definitely the most uh, dark, I feel, of the three of the four episodes that have come out so far. Um, they take it into a way different direction than the other three previous episodes are. So I would definitely say this is uh, definitely like the beginning of the, you know, of the new trend, I feel, of what we're going to be getting from the what if. So I definitely would have to say this is a good, this one is like, you know, top notch. Uh, I would say definitely like third, second place for me uh, in the episode so far of what I've enjoyed. Uh, definitely this one had a interesting and different take on you know, what we've seen, like I said before, uh, it'll be interesting to just see exactly where else they go with these episodes as they go further down the line. Well, we know for a fact that we're going to get Doctor Strange more than once in these nine episodes. Um, so, and I think that's a good thing. I'm happy about that. But Alexis, um, how would you rank this episode with what you've seen so far from What If? This is actually my favorite episode so far. This is an episode that I watched and I walked away thinking, why didn't they use this story for one of the movies? I really think it could have been done so well as a cinematic story. 
So you feel like the story itself was so poignant that it, it's it's it, it's film worthy. Yeah, I honestly do. And I'm not going to lie, a lot of that comes down to the amazing voice acting of uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. So he, yes, thank you, Cleo. He does such a great job with the role. And I know that he's done a voiceover for like one or two animated films, but still, I was just like, oh, I've never really heard him, you know, do a lot of voice acting. I'm like, he was so great in the role, and I loved it. Lord Deathman, your thoughts? This is also my favorite episode of the series so far. Uh, I love the fact that it was horror-tinged. I love the great heart in the story. Uh, there's really a simple kind of love story at the core of this episode, which really brought a lot of uh, emotional heft to it. And there was just a lot of dazzling animation. I think the animators on this one really got to show their craft with all of the different kinds of mutations and creatures and sorcery effects. It just felt really exhilarating to watch. So this is a top-ranked episode for me. And, you know, as an American, it's, it's starting to get a little under my skin, the kind of competency that all these British lead guys <laughs> show. Like you have uh, just last episode, I think Tom Hiddleston did a wonderful job with Loki. And now you have Benedict Cumberpatch sort of bringing the heat once again. And no job is too big or too small for those guys, right? It, it's always that British efficiency. It doesn't matter if I'm doing a little voiceover thing or if I'm in front of the camera. You know, there's no diva-ishness about them. They really take the craft seriously and they're always there for it, right? They're, they're such careful curators of their characters. But back to the episode. Yeah, this is, this is a top favorite of mine. Um, I just love the premise of it. And I think what I like the most about it is that it really, of all the episodes that have come thus far... This really is in keeping with the comic book concept of what if, which always took you to a darker place. Like if yeah. you've ever read the classic what if or some of the what if revivals that came in the 90s or the early 2000s, what if almost seems to be a way for a writer to sort of vent out that darker side in terms of the story or to do something that plays out that wasn't as feel good or as optimistic. And this kind of lives right there as a, an episode that keeps to that tradition. So big favorite of mine. Uh, in fact, my favorite episode so far. Well, that's a great point. It really is, um, Lord Deathman. And one thing that I really appreciate about having Lord Deathman on the show, um, I believe this is his third appearance on the MCU's Leading Edge, is that he is a Marvel Comics knowledgeable type, um, you know, person. And um, that's a really good point that we haven't really mentioned here before on the show is that this episode really did take it to the roots of what if, because um, like I've mentioned before in conversation with Lord Deathman, my, my favorite what if comics were always the ones with the Punisher in them. Um, and obviously the Punisher is a darker character, you know, um, Ghost Rider, I liked him in the what if, um, but they did usually always kind of go in dark territory. And um, what I was also kind of wondering at some point down the road, guys, um, I'd love to do something, some kind of segment at least once where we all kind of go back and like pick like a Marvel comic that we might, that we like a what if comic where we like the story or we like the topic or something like that. and kind of just talk about it like on the show, but obviously I wasn't going to just throw it at you guys like the, the day of the show or whatever, you know? Um, but I, I've been thinking about toying around about wanting to do it, but, um, 
going back over to you, Cyber, what did you think of um, the pace of the episode? Did you feel like um, it maybe was a little bit like of a lull in the beginning and then kind of picked up steam as it went? I honestly think that it, it, it had a pretty good pace the whole entire episode. Uh, I like that the fact that they kind of, you know, started off just like how the original Doctor Strange film begins, you know, except with the addition of Christine getting into the car this time and them supposedly going to this gala together and him crashing with her in the car. Uh, I thought that they paced it very well because you got you had all that going on. You had showed him, you know, have, trying to bring her back several times. And then you had what basically ended up becoming kind of what the finale part of the of the episode was, you know, about, you know, another version of himself, you know, having tried to intake all this evilness and stuff like that to be able to bring her back and stuff like that and so forth and stuff. And you saw like all that. I thought it paced very well throughout the whole entire episode. I mean, I didn't I was like by the time that the episode ended, I didn't even feel like I had just watched, you know, 30 minutes worth of, you know, video. I, it felt like it had just started and it just ended. So I thought it was a really good pace. I thought it ran very well, and I thought it was very well conceived. Definitely. Um, Lord Deathman, same question. What did you think about the pace of the episode? And, and, and if, if, you, if there's anything in it at all that you think is a comparison to the other episodes that we've dealt with so far, please feel free to expound. Absolutely. It always feels like these animated episodes go by, like the pacing, it feels quick. But at the same time, they managed to pack a lot of story into that half hour block. It, it felt like really watching a feature film, but at the same time, the fluidity of the animation, the speed at which actions happen, especially in action sequences, make it feel a little more, a little faster than, than live action. But I really enjoy the pace. Um, I've really gotten into animation in my sort of adult years and, and learning to appreciate the different styles and schools of it. And I think Marvel is onto something with starting their own animation studio now. Now is really the time for them to kind of step up, do these things in-house. Because I don't want to say that they haven't been served very well by their sort of third-party collaborators over the years, but there obviously have been some offerings that are stronger than others, but what if, as their debut for in-house animation, the pacing is just done beautifully? I think the story really flowed, and it also, um, there's a certain quality of it where, I don't know if this is me just kind of doing a lot of headcanon or, or fan speculation, but it does feel like they, they're leaving enough, enough nuggets in the story for you to think, oh, maybe this does tie into live action. You know, is the Doctor Strange, is a Strange Supreme, as he's referred to, the same Doctor Strange that we're going to see in the in the Homecoming trailer, right? So, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm totally thrilled with the pacing here. But comparing this to other episodes, this one has a totally different feeling, right? This takes you into the realm of magic, time bending and manipulation. There are different characters here. So while each episode has had its own unique quality with regards to sci-fi fantasy or action adventure or taking you into the past sort of with the first episode, this really doesn't feel comparable except that it's in the same format. So I'm loving the variety of stories that they're giving us here and taking us into different genres. So, yeah, I hope What If becomes a fixture of the MCU sort of buffet of content and we continue to eat well 
versus it becoming like a one-off experiment where they do 10 episodes and then kind of forget about it for four years. I'm in agreement with that. I would love to see what if come back for a second season and a third season. Um, You know, some of these shows need to be mainstays that we can rely on and see over the course of one or two or three different seasons. Um, You know, I'd like to see them maintain that element, that, that typical element that you get with a, a TV show, a series. Um, Since we know that so many of the shows we've already watched from these Disney plus shows, other than Loki, probably aren't going to get second seasons. WandaVision, I don't see having a second season um, or uh, Captain America and the Winter Soldier. Um, I think they're moving on to bigger and better things. But Alexis, same question. Um, What did you think about the pace of the episode? And, uh, you know, if you want to contrast it at all to the other episodes, feel free. I thought the pacing was really good. (laughs) I... And I'm getting my arm eaten back here. I'll tell you what, guys, let me make my point here real quick. And then I'm going to go ahead and jump off because I've got somebody who's just not going to let me record tonight. And I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) I have a couple of dogs here I might need to kill. Ow! That's okay. Things happen, Alexis. We understand. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But yeah, we'd love to yeah. hear what you have to say before you go. No, this was a really good episode. Uh, I think actually one of my favorite parts of this was the fact that this is one of the few where the Watcher, while he doesn't intervene, he does kind of take a bit of a part in it. I absolutely love the scene where the Watcher saying, I could interfere, but he won't listen to me. And Strange can hear him. It kind of reminded me of something of a Tennessee Williams play. The idea of the overseeing narrator sort of walking onto the stage going... I guess we'll just have to see what happens. There's a very classic element to that uh, staging that I really enjoyed. The animation, as always, was gorgeous. The way uh, humanity looked as they were, they weren't like evaporating. It was almost like they were melting upwards. It's actually a style I don't think I've ever seen before. And it was very creative. Really liked it. Uh, very happy to see so many of the voice actors come back for this. We even get a nice little cameo with uh, Leslie Bibb reprising Christine Everhart on the TV news that uh, Strange is watching. Again, it's just little touches like that are always fun to see. And again, this is a this is a, a short that I watched and I thought this story could have been utilized for a cinematic a cinematic experience. Even though, yes, we have seen the um, not true evil twin, but the idea of I am what you could be. And we have also seen the time paradox before. I was reminded of, uh, did anyone else see that uh, theatrical version of the time machine with Guy Pierce? Yeah. Well mm-hmm. over like 20 years ago. It's very similar to that. The idea that he's looking for a way to save his, uh, his fiance and... In the end, it's like, no, you'd create a time paradox. Exact same thing here. The Ancient One says, well, if you save Christine, then you never would have started the studying the mystic arts. So, can't change it. And so, you, you know where it's going, but it's still very fascinating to see. Not to mention, I just kind of died when he starts summoning the um, magical creatures to absorb their power. He freaking summons a guard gnome. Yeah. It's just like the first thing he pulls out is like, is a garden gnome? I love that. It's like starts small. It's like, well, apparently nothing smaller than a garden gnome. But again, very nice touch. Beautiful animation. Uh, really enjoyed it. I got to ask, do you guys think that uh, we will see Jeffrey Rush as the Watcher in any of the 
um, theatrical films. I, I know we've seen The Watchers before in a brief cameo with um, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, but that was more of an Easter egg, I would say, than anything else, not to mention a fun little uh, joke for the Stan Lee cameo. But do you think we could actually have Uatu the Watcher as a character played by Jeffrey Wright in the future in the, the-, in the movies? I think no, but you guys are more than Cyber Lord Deathman. You're more than welcome to chime in and give your opinion. I don't think that they would ever um, actually embody Uatu in the MCU. I don't think it would make any sense. I don't know. I am a huge proponent that I think just with these four episodes that what if merits actually being explored in live action? I think people get the concept that you're going into an alternate dimension or multiverse or timeline. <laughs> so I wouldn't mind a sidetrack in certain phases where you get a what if live action movie. And I think that would necessitate having the watcher. Now, thinking about Jeffrey Wright and his body of work, you don't see him do a lot of science fiction. You know, it's not his thing to kind of Westworld is like was his opening salvo into science fiction after all these years of playing heavies and and all these diff- this huge range of characters. So while I do think um, we would need the Watcher in a live action setting, it's hard to say whether Jeffrey Wright would make that kind of commitment. I think this voice work is sort of in a power alley where he is a part of the big franchise, but doesn't have to do the green screening and a bunch of makeup and getting into a mocap suit. Um, I don't know the man, but just judging by what I've heard and seen in interviews, he, he probably wouldn't be up for it Yeah. Just realized, I think I said Jeffrey Rush instead of Jeffrey Wright. Sorry, wrong <laughs> actor with an okay. amazingly sorry, wrong actor with an amazingly awesome voice. So, yeah, it's like, Simon, yeah. what do you think, buddy? Uh, I foresee a scene, Watu, Yatu, whatever, however you say his name, um, in the future, maybe in the live actions, most definitely as a CGI character along with a voiceover. I definitely see that happening. I don't see an actual physical person playing him, but I definitely do see in the future somebody voicing him. I don't know if it'll be Jeffrey Rush uh, or Jeffrey Wright. See, she got me saying Jeffrey Rush. <laughs> and uh, you never know. I mean, you never know because sometimes when these people, you know, undertake, you know, different agreements with Disney or Marvel and so forth and stuff like that in their agreements, sometimes they are signed on for several things. So you never know. You We might get you know, a Jeffrey Russ voiceover version of, you know, him in the MCU in the future. We, we just don't know. But at the same time, I don't, I don't see it being a live action performance. I see it as being a CGI performance of the character, most definitely, because I think that with doing it a CGI version, you just would have a lot more ability with the character, especially because like, like Lord Deathman was saying, you know, Jeffrey Wright isn't a person that would like to probably put on prosthetics and stuff like that. So doing a fully CGI character versus where they have to put on all the makeup and stuff, that would make it a lot more feasible to bring that character into the MCU. So that's that's kind of where I see that going eventually if we do end up getting that character into the actual live-action MCUs. I kind of like the way we've seen the Watcher mostly in the opening credits of the series, that he's almost a silhouette in the clouds of the sky and the nebulas. And that's actually a way I could very easily see them uh, doing the role. That they, just, You know, in the live-action film, Strange just looks up and he sees the shape of Uatu into the cosmos. 
something like that. And on that note, gentlemen, somebody is just going to have to demand my attention for tonight. So I apologize that I am not able to stick this review out. But yes, I did absolutely love this episode. However, I want to go kill my dog. Well, we loved having you, even though it was brief. Right. Yeah. We'll see you the next time. All right. Have a good night, guys. All right. Bye-bye. Take care. All right. So Kurt has been dropping in. The only criticism I had really was that the number of years Evil Strange took really didn't really come across well enough. I agree. I know exactly what he's talking about. Um, Cyber, see, you're nodding your head. Do you know what he's – you get what what he's talking about, right? Yeah, because it really – it kind of shows him, like, getting all those powers and stuff like that. And, you know, all of a sudden it kind of, like – it shows him doing that. He gets the last one in him, and then all of a sudden it – pops to the other Doctor Strange that he's going to be end up be, you know, having to fight this Doctor Strange. And you don't really get any reference to what the gap or how long the, you know, how long it took that Doctor Strange to get to that point to where he was. You just kind of have a vague, you know, description of what was going on a little bit there within, because you don't know how long the other one, all of a sudden that pops up, how long he's been the Sorcerer Supreme. So, I mean, yeah, I, I totally get where Kurt's coming from there that, you know, you really don't get a very good or precise, I should say, timeline for what's going on with that evil Doctor Strange. Well, I think that the Oben character said that, like, when Doctor Strange went back in time to um, find the library of, of Cagliosos or whatever, um, you know, that um, that he spent, like, uh, centuries or whatever about, like, you know, at the library or something like that, centuries. But, you know, that he, he, he was there for quite a long time, I believe. Um, just absorbing yeah. those those mystical forces and everything and whatnot, which is what those were. Um, I'll tell you, um, I don't know. Oh, and also Kurt mentioned that What If has already been booked for a second season. I didn't know that, but that's great to hear. Me neither. Um, Music to my ears. Yeah. Well, they said What If is canon, so we can get a Rush voiceover. Well, it's Jeffrey Wright, not Jeffrey Rush, but <laughs> that's true. The reason why I don't think we're going to see the, my whole thing is, and this is what I would explain to Alexis if she had said stayed on, is that when it, when it, and Lord Deathman, I know you understand where I'm coming from with this. When it comes to the MCU, from a comic book standpoint, the only way that you would insert the Watcher into an actual story would be if it was a cosmic story where you already had other cosmic beings involved. You know what I mean? To the point where right. he would become involved. Like there's other cosmic entities besides Uatu that are going to be ending up being used in the MCU before him is my point. Like, I, I think it's more, I think it's more imperative that we see Galactus before we see Uatu like pop up. I mean, let's be honest yeah. here. At the end of the day, he can't do anything anyway. Like he can't change anything. Like, exactly. You know, like all he does is watch. He's a pacifist and he's a non-interference type person. So, I want to go back just for a second, though, to Kurt's comments about the passage of time. And I agree for the most part that it was not well shown how much time had passed when Doctor Strange travels into the past and goes to uh, Cagliostro's library. By the way, the gentleman that he does meet is a younger version of Cagliostro. Is that (laughs) who that uh, was? That was a bit of a comic book. Oh, yeah, because Cagliostro is Oben. Yeah, he is Oben. It's just um, that's another name for the same character. But there's a scene that they show where you're looking at the sort of facade 
of it's an exterior scene where you're looking at the side of Cagliostro Citadel and you kind of see the time pass that way. So there's like a moon that goes by, then a sun, then the, the time of day changes and the foliage on the Citadel sort of, you know, dies. And they were trying to show you that there was an extreme passage of time there, yes. but it really was a blink and you'll miss it kind of moment. What did so, old Ben say when he was dying? Didn't he say you, you decided to spend your centuries of time yeah. doing whatever you were doing. And I, and I decided to live. Exactly. And that he had stolen these extra years from black magic and the dark dimension. So there is a sense of a passage of time, but it's not like they tell you exactly how many centuries he's been or that you see these great milestones. Because because from our point of view, it looks like Dr. Strange or Strange Supreme spent all of his time conjuring all these demons and absorbing them, right? Like he never took a lunch break, never went out for a walk outside the Citadel, never met a girl, nothing like that. It seems like, you know, somehow hit time passed differently for him in those exercises. Well, he would have been spending time reading books and um, you're learning spells and, um, yeah. and stuff of that nature. But Lord Deathman, I'm really glad that you brought that up because um, I don't know how I, how I didn't realize that, but it is, oh, Ben is Cagliostro. Yeah. And honestly, um, now that I, that realization has dawned on me, it really makes me wonder why he would, why Cagliostro would even allow him to, be it there. Yeah, like, be in and, the library. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, in the comics, uh, Cagliostro is not exactly like the uh, the nicest guy out there. He um, isn't. <laughs> you know, like, and honestly, it, who knows? Like, if they could, if they if they wanted to, they could have included like Dracula and vampires and stuff like that into the story. Because with Cagliostro, that's a big part of his like deal. So, anyways, but that is very interesting. But um. No, Kurt also said that he. I'd like to see them save the Watcher for a reveal for the Fantastic Four. Yeah, honestly, Kurt, I just don't see it, man. The Watcher just doesn't really. He's yeah. great in the What If series. I love, I love seeing the, these scenes where he's silhouetted in the in like in the in the sky, like he was during the, the episode three. Um, and you just see him like in the background and stuff and everything. But from a comic book standpoint. The Watcher just isn't like a character that would just pop up in something in a story. Um, it was interesting in this episode, though, that we did get the Watcher and yes. Doctor Strange actually interacting with each other. So Strange Supreme actually reaches this level of power where he has some cosmic awareness and he is capable of perceiving that the Watcher is watching all of this sort of unfold and even sort of a, appeals to him for help in, in his sort of deluded quest. Yes. And Kurt's right. Um, the watcher did get actually get involved in the comics with the fantastic four. Um, and I, I cannot remember correctly hundred percent, but I believe that when he did that, he lost his job, like as the watcher. Um, right. He was he going against the grain and getting yes. involved, but I think the watcher keeping the watcher on brand really keep means keeping him in the what if sort of universe. So when he's in the mainstream timeline and not sort of acting as a tour guide to show us an alternate reality, it's usually when they'll do like a montage of cosmic entities who are sort of invested in the events of something that are happening, but they're not willing to engage. So you'll see something like Galactus and the living <laughs> tribunal and the in-betweener. And then obviously the watcher has to be in that group to, to maintain status. And they're all kind of like, Oh, you know, this is a critical moment. 
we're all kind of looking at it. But as always, the watcher won't intervene. And he never does. But uh, I think I'd like to keep him more as the guide of alternate realities rather than someone who shows up to do nothing in, an, in a live action Marvel film. That was kind of what I was talking about before, Lord Deathman, is that the only way I could see him actually showing up in the MCU is if a, like, a, t- a bunch of cosmic beings were all being used right. in one film. And like they had a meeting or something, you know what yeah. I mean? Like they that's did, exactly like they, like, what gave me the idea. The fact that you said that, Jeff, I was like, yeah, that is how he's traditionally seen. Yes. And not in a what if story. So, okay. So moving on basically with the episode, as we've already cyber, you've already said, and Lord Deathman, we've already talked about where the, where the episode ends up going. Um, you know, he continues to try to bring uh, Christine back to life. Cannot do it. She dies no matter what, no matter how many times he goes back. He goes to um, Tagliostro's uh, tomb or whatever you want to call it, library, um, to, to seek the power and the knowledge to bring Christine back. Spends countless amounts of hundreds of years or whatever there. He was basically consuming the power of other um, mystic entities. That's what that was when he was the, took in the garden gnome and stuff like that and everything. Right. Those were like other mystic entities. Um, and I don't know. You guys tell me what you think. I didn't look this up yet. But that creature that came out with the tentacles, I think, was the same one from episode one. Shuma McGrath. McGorath. You think that was Shuma yeah. Gorath or do you think it was the the um, the Asgardian god that Hydra is based off of? It might have been either one. But this issue has this series has had no shortage of tentacled creatures. <laughs> the only reason why Captain I don't Carter. know if it's Shumagorath or not is because whenever you see Shumagorath in the comics, you always you see, see his eye. head. Yes, yeah, the, you eye, see the right. eyeball. That's but right. We, we, yeah, we honestly don't know who those creatures are. And, you know, on Sakaar, on the message board, everybody's already trying to do a frame by frame. Who was each of those mystical beings? But I think a lot of them, especially the insect with the cape of levitation, those might have just been pure inventions by the animators, you know, and maybe one or two existing comic book characters. But I don't think the tentacled creature represents sort of a known entity in the MCU. I just think someone probably thought it looked cool. Well, I'll, honestly, um, you know, <clears throat> with those with the, the 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 insect character and everything and whatnot that had the cape, like Doctor Strange, you got to remember there are Doctor Stranges across the entire multiverse. They're, they're and one all, of them could have been an insect. Yeah, are, you're right. There are other there are other um, sorcerer supremes of different races that are like insects and stuff like yeah, that, and like animals. And, yeah, yeah, so, that's an excellent point, Jeff. Excellent point. So that could have been Doctor Strange from another universe. Yes, essentially, or the sorcerer supreme of some other race on some other planet, right. some other you know whatever dimension. But so essentially, I mean, things fly pretty quickly from there. Uh, it was really cool, and Cyber, I w- I w- wanted to get your reaction. It was really cool to see the ancient one again. Um, mm-hmm. she had a int- she had a real presence on the episode. You know, uh, what did you think about that? I loved it. Uh, I mean, I loved Tilda Swinton in the actual film of Doctor Strange. I thought she was a great character. I was so happy when they brought her back in Endgame. Uh, I was really upset that they killed her off in, in Doctor Strange, but I understood that that needed to happen for, you know, Dr. Strange to become the source of Supreme. But at the same time, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, Oh, I, ho- I hope we get to see her again. And then when she popped up in this too, I was like, yes. 
awesome. And I was like, oh, this is really awesome. I was very happy to see that they brought her back and we got a little bit more of her in that great Tilda Swinton voiceover and stuff like that. So that was really nice. I really enjoyed seeing her and I was very happy to see uh, us get a little bit more of the Sorcerer Supreme. Tilda Swinton's great in everything, I think, that she's in, to tell you the truth. But Lord Deathman, what do you think? I love seeing Tilda Swinton in almost anything. I mean, the woman could come on screen and just kind of breathe and it would be fine with me. But she's especially good in this episode of What If? And it doesn't feel like a cheat to have her come back. You know, she did die in Doctor Strange and you could easily say, you know, oh, oh my God, you know, they've resurrected her somehow, bought her through the multiverse. But she kind of established herself as this multiversal entity in the first Doctor Strange kind of living in all of these different moments and the way she presents herself as an echo I thought was really beautiful right there was something kind of poetic and allegory to the story it wasn't really her but like a piece of her that's still clinging to her physical existence and she wants to kind of intervene or stop Strange from making the wrong decision so this episode is filled with a lot of emotional beats and the ones with the ancient one are some of the strongest ones. Well, that actually is, it brings an interesting comparison to the technology, like technology and and machinery versus the mystical arts and, um, and magic. And, you know, whereas you've seen movies and premises where, you know, or in the comics, you've seen Tony Stark almost die and um or die and like you know come back as like a hologram you know what i mean like you know or like like he did with iron heart like you know be like in a coma or whatever but like you know be an ai and like be helping like iron heart in the comics um in this case in the episode it was the ancient one actually like a fragment of her being right or like of her of her astral being that that had resu- that had remained alive or attached itself to strange in some way. Yeah. Um, was kind of tethered to him because of the weight of this situation. The fact that a whole universe was at stake. Yes. Very similar to like Naruto Shippuden where like, um, yes, like uh, in Naruto, um, like his, um, his father and mother, when they die at, during, during the same time of his birth and they seal the nine tails Fox in him, um, they leave fragments of themselves in Naruto's m- mind, in his memory, so that when certain things happen, certain events in his life, they will pop up during his life. Yeah. And counsel him and talk to him. It's a fairly well-known trope in storytelling, especially science fiction, fantasy. The idea that you would have an AI consciousness kind of come back for Ironheart is analogous to the ancient one coming back to sort of give advice and guidance to Dr. Strange. So you, you do have those parallels and that was an excellent point that you made there, Jeff, in terms of looking at it. But I was just surprised at how they managed to do it and make it feel like it just wasn't like a cheat, like, Oh, we just bought this person back after killing them. It was great to see her after that long absence. And they did the absolute right thing, bringing Tilda Swinton back to do the voice of the character because I don't think anyone else could have filled those shoes. No, I'm glad that she wanted to come back and do it. I really am. Um, I'm sure that she's, I mean, she, I have to imagine that she's pretty in demand as an actress. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, but no, I, I like, you know what, 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 what we were just talking about her 
and you were saying you know that that you wouldn't care what she did more death man and you would enjoy it <laughs> i heard this something really funny the other day i was watching um an avengers in, in uh infinity war uh trailer reaction type video on youtube or whatever cyber knows i love those um and somebody commented i could watch the avengers wash their hair and enjoy it <laughs> yeah it's true you know yeah it is true they've but, really uh, worked their way into the fandom heart right our collective hearts and minds um you know at, they're, the, point, they're, at, they're, at the point that infinity war and endgame came out the things the avengers were so popular that i swear to god if they would have just had a like a video of them washing their hair i would have watched it <laughs> so i think not. even if they were just breathing i think yeah. you would have watched it jeff probably yes as long as it was in trailer form um, yes yeah you know just really light and heavy breathing you know <laughs> but like, though, in, in particular really deserves uh our loyalty just because she can traverse these really obscure and esoteric indie films and then come and do something like constantine you know oh again, man she was awesome in constantine oh yeah oh yeah you know i mean she brings this physicality in terms of her being model-esque and, and kind of a, a statuesque figure her diction, you know, I mean, I, I, I didn't know for a long time that she was Scottish, you know, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Would have thought English, maybe even American. Yeah, I thought, I knew she was from Europe, but I didn't realize that she was Scottish. Um, Yeah, she, I mean, she's an interesting person. She's definitely like a, uh, an interesting character as a person, uh, like uh, her beliefs and views and whatnot are a little out there, but, um, you know, that's neither here nor there. I enjoy, I mean, like he, in Constantine, she was great. Yeah, I mean, it was a small role that she played in that film, but it was very powerful whenever she was on screen. Um, and and she just seems to be excellent in every role she plays. Like it doesn't matter; she's she's great. Um, but off topic, what do you guys think, Cyber? What do you think about the fact that they're going to have Ironheart's introduction come out in Black Panther two? Did you hear about that? Yes, uh, actually, I did a video on that on uh, one of the apps i do I, I think it was on clapper i think um or one of them i, I might have done them on all of them i can't remember what i did do some i did do some talking about it recently because i saw the article like a couple weeks ago um but yeah i thought that was very interesting that they're deciding to bring her out in wakanda forever and i was like thinking to myself i'm like so definitely they must be you know somewhere in the black panther 2 film they must be ending up at mit because supposedly that's where this character, the Ironheart character, is basically she's an MIT student that Tony comes across in the comic books. And uh, somehow they are linking it to this Black Panther movie, having her pop up in that and having her introduction for her actual TV show on Disney+. And I was just thinking to myself, I'm like, how are they fitting in MIT into Black Panther 2? Because apparently they're ending up in Boston somehow. In you know, in this movie, and I'm thinking, you know, Wakanda Forever sounds to me like they're going to be over Wakanda this whole entire film, you know, because it's all about Wakanda. And uh, I, I was just kind of blown away that they decided that's the movie that they're going to introduce this character into. And uh, I think it's a it's a cool idea. I don't know how they're going to play it off. I hope they play it off well. I hope it's a really good introduction to this character. And, uh, you know, I'm not very familiar with this character, so it'll be fun to see what they do with this. But I definitely think it's very interesting that they decided to put it into Black Panther 2 to introduce this character. My brother got his master's at MIT. I love you, Alex. Um, 
And uh, but yeah, um, I, I I get where you're coming from, Cyber Lord Deathman. What are your thoughts on on Ironheart being introduced in Black Panther two? Well, as a comic book reader, I can tell you that Ironheart is a polarizing figure. She didn't get the warmest reception from comic book fans when she came out. I think it was the mid 2000s, the mid part of the early 2000s. The fans weren't exceptionally receptive to her. This was when Marvel was trying to diversify their roster and make the comic books more accessible to younger readers with the Marvel Now line. I won't go into all of the baggage and the politics that came with that experiment, but what we did get out of it is the character of Riri Williams or Ironheart. And the fact that she's being bought into Black Panther was something I really had to do a little bit of soul searching on. I had to think about it. First, I have, I have, you have to come to grips with what you think of the character in the first place before you can have any opinion about whether she belongs in Black Panther, Wakanda forever. So I had to say, you know, wh wh what do I think of this character? I know I've read fair, a fair amount of stories about her. I've gotten the lay of the land in terms of her origin her dysfunction her powers you know kind of a shuri type story so uh, you know my feelings on her being there is that i'm there for it and i came to that conclusion because in the first black panther that's a phenomenal film you know it's a near perfect execution in terms of a superhero origin for me and what i liked about it you know without fetishizing it is i liked delving into this afrofuturism that they kind of laid out for us in black panther it was just so cyberpunk but on another level but what they don't do very well with if i have to be critical about anything is that they never bridge the gap between african africans and wakanda and american africans right so you have someone like colonel rhodes you have characters like, uh, and I'm forgetting, there, there's probably at least, um, oh yeah, Falcon, you know? Those yeah. guys never get sort of bought into the fold. Not that they should be. Not that like all black people are friends all over the world from across continents, but they never really create the ties between, you know, T'Challa creating this whole new, I think he wanted to start a school uh, in in South Central, the last scenes of Black Panther kind of resonate because he's in an underserved neighborhood and you get the feeling that that's where the Wakandans are going to start with regards to sharing their technology and their knowledge and, and their education with people from other countries, not just Americans. So I kind of like the idea that they're bridging the gap between a MIT student who is of African-American descent and the Africans of Wakanda, that there's going to be this kind of a, uh, a spiritual bridge between those two types of characters. And I'll also point out, I know this rant has been somewhat long, guys, but uh, stick with me just for a couple seconds more. In the ta Coates run on Black Panther in the comic books, MIT does figure, not prominently, but the institution itself is a part of an exchange program, if I remember the story correctly, in which students from Wakanda were, were attending there, and then MIT students would get the opportunity to get education in Wakanda. So there was kind of this cultural exchange there. So it's not coming out of the blue that MIT is sort of going to be a presence in Wakanda forever. Well, I'll be honest with you, Lord Deathman, I think I think it's it what what you basically see in the MCU in that in that uh, dichotomy is pretty realistic in real life because in my experience with actual Africans um, that come to America, for instance, 
they don't typically um, associate very much with um, African American people. Uh, yeah, yeah, they don't. Um, that's not typically who they're who they befriend. I mean, um, my uh, my cousin's a Jersey girl, and her husband's an African, a real African guy, and um, all his friends are you know white. Um, you know, right. to be honest with you. Um, yeah, and I was careful to point that out, Jeff. That it doesn't mean that there's going to be an automatic connection or a kinship or a relationship. Yeah. But I do kind of like the idea that um, they are trying to make this kind of connection. I want to see where it goes. You know, is Riri going to be accepted into the Wakandan community? And I doubt it, right? I mean, she, she's an American. She's, for, for, from their point of view, she is an American, <laughs> right? And they are Wakandan. So I, I want to see what the basis is for the collaboration of an African-American superhero who's young and an African superhero like Shuri, who is also young, female, and African. I think it could end up being a, a positive for the film. It's definitely an interesting direction that they're going to go in that direction. I don't know how big of a role she's going to play in the movie. I don't think it'll be that big, uh, personally. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, it's, it still doesn't, doesn't completely uh, answer my questions with Black Panther 2 as far as what they're really going to do. Like, who's going to be the <laughs> Black Panther? You know what I mean? Like. Right. Is there even going to be a Black Panther in Black Panther 2? And that's the question. That's a whole nother show, Jeff, that I would love yes. to be on with you to discuss Wakanda forever. Because th that I think that is everybody's, uh, you know, uh, that's close to a lot of people's hearts because of the reception of the first film. Well, this is the one year anniversary of um, yeah. Chadwick yeah. Boseman's death. Chadwick Boseman's death, yeah. So, you know, uh, um, God bless you, Chadwick Boseman. And um, I'll tell you right now, what a lion of a man. Um, yeah. I don't care what anybody says. Um, nobody, can, nobody can fill those shoes. Nobody could ever be the Black Panther that Chadwick Boseman was. That's just yeah. my take. I mean, I'm not trying to put myself out there like I'm like separating myself from anybody here or whatever. I'm sure a lot of people agree with me or don't agree with me, whatever. Um, it's my opinion, but I'm just saying I, I'm I'm not trying to glorify or, or godify um, Chadwick Boseman as an actor, but his portrayal of T'Challa. I just don't see how any other actor could be as good as him. I just don't see it. Um, he was a towering presence in the role, Jeff, and I happen to agree with you. There is going to be no replacing him, no filling his shoes. I'm just going to come out on record and say that. However, I don't think that that should preclude people from trying to recast the role to get someone to fill the shoes. But we just have to take it as a fact that there's not going to be many people Especially when you think about the idea that Chadwick Boseman sort of worked under the duress of having this awful physical malady, you know, assaulting him while he was turning in these incredible performances. Once you layer that onto it, it takes him from being an iconic player in the MCU to something like legendary stratospheric. You know, I, I once heard a, a friend of mine who um, had opportunity to works in the film business, not very high up, you know, kind of a PA type situation, worked on a film that Chadwick Boseman, and I think it's really important to share this story. Um, so my friend comes back and he tells me, um, this was a few years ago, he was doing like a biopic or something like that. And he remembered, he was like, yeah, I saw Chadwick Boseman. He didn't really say hi to me. He didn't seem like a friendly dude or anything like that. And he had his entourage around him all the time. And it seemed like he was a really closed off guy, right? 
So that was my friend's observations about Chadwick Boseman from a distance, not knowing the guy. He said, yeah, he kind of seemed like a prima donna, right? Like, I don't know, like all these people were kind of touching him and and they were trying to like give him encouragement to, to go and do his thing. And then, you know, come years later after his death, same friend says, you know what? I, I totally get that. The, the man was suffering from terminal cancer, right? He needed that kind of support from that entourage and those people who were around him to, you know, it wasn't about being a prima donna. This was about conserving your energy while trying to do this incredibly difficult task of this performance, whoever it was he was playing. And I, I forget the film, I apologize. But yeah, for, for me, um, there's never going to be another Chadwick Boseman as the Black Panther. But I think Disney should think about, you know, fairly soon recasting the role. Um, and that person is just going to have to live in a huge shadow. Cyber, do you have any thoughts? Well, from my understanding is in Black Panther 2, we will be getting a new Black Panther. Uh, they just haven't exactly said who they've decided to go with. They haven't said if they're going to make Suri the new one. or Because I've also heard rumors that they were thinking about bringing back... Um, What's his name? Uh, Michael B. Jordan. Yeah. Uh, from his character in the first film, resurrecting him and have him become the next Black Panther. Because in the comics, I guess he originally was like a mentor to Suri uh, in the comic book. So that was another rumor that was going around. But they have officially, like I know Kevin Feige and a lot of the people that are working on Wakanda Forever have stated that, yes, there will be a new Black Panther in this film. We just, they're, they're keeping close lip on who is actually it's going to become they just are they just you know we're affirming though to let us know that there is going to be a black panther in this next black panther film uh but you know whoever it is i mean as long as they can you know keep up the par with what chadwick bosman has done with the character i'm fine with it you know i you know i want to honor chadwick with you know his performance as black panther of course um, but I mean, just like you know, Lord Edmund said, they need to, they should recast it. They should keep it going, just because yeah, you know, he, you know, unfortunately, you know, passed. You know, still to keep that character alive, you want to keep it alive. So why would you have it die with the character when he dies in real life? And you know, that's not really honoring him. That's that's just kind of like, eh, okay, yeah, we shouldn't replace him because that would be dishonoring him. I don't think of it that way. I think that it's a dishonor not to recast the character to keep the legacy going. Because in the comics, there were a couple different Black Panthers, from my understanding. So, I mean, it would be the smart choice for, you know, Marvel to continue the character, even though Chadwick Bosman has put such a huge presence on the character. But at the same time, moving on with the character, giving it a new life, is going to make it even more stronger and more wanting in the MCU. So, I think that would be a wise choice. I would well not said. mind seeing them bring back Michael B. Jordan. I would not mind that at all. Lord Deathman. Yeah. yeah, I would be, I would be here for that. I really would. I think, um, and I don't know, you know, I'd love to get you guys takes on it since we're taking this kind of uh, black Panther diversion, but I'm of the opinion that Wakanda itself is such an interesting place. The mythology around the country of Wakanda that they could probably tell anthology stories from different periods in the history of Wakanda. I would love to see a movie about the first Black Panther and the ascendancy of the Panther cult uniting the tribes. There's a story there, you know, um, and, and it's going to be filled with drama, with heart, with action. Um, I would love to see a T'Chaka Black Panther film because, you know, that dude 
you know, it seems like he was the the kind of more violent, uh, you know, like action first type guy, whereas T'Challa was much more thoughtful. That's um, you got two boss level Panthers there, and I would I wouldn't mind seeing a movie about T'Chaka. So I we're gonna get a, going we're gonna get a Black Panther map. Disney Plus. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah we're getting a Disney yeah. Plus series where we can go deeper into the mythology. It's like how remember how uh, when um, Avatar came out and all those kids were like, "Oh, I'm so sad because I can't really go there to this bioluminescent candy land." That's how I feel about Wakanda. I'm like, I'm depressed because <laughs> it doesn't really exist and I can't go there. But if you can give me stories that are set there, uh, I would be a happy fan and a happy camper. I think the Disney Plus series is supposed to be about the um the the Dora Le, uh, the Dora Milaje, or, yeah 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 I think that's what that's that show is supposed to be mostly centered on but um no you know it's an interesting conversation I mean I could I could totally see it being plausible that they brought they could bring Michael B Jordan back have him be the Black Panther and have him have some kind of like redemption story as a man yeah. as as a person you know like um you know, from, from evil to good kind of deal. I can see them making that work, um, you know, in, in an effective way, you know, in a good story. Um, but I, I, at the end of the day, look, if, if you make Shuri the Black Panther, how would she be able to actually physically be able to maintain the, 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 the kingship of, the, of Wakanda? Because if anybody who physically challenges <clears throat> her to a fight for the for like the lead, the leadership of Wakanda would beat her ass, um, you know if, if one of those big ass other tribal dudes or one on one, like right, it, she, I, he, I, Jeff, I, I see where you're going with this, and I will admit to the idea that Shuri as Black Panther is somewhat problematic. Um, I don't want to go all the way into that issue, you know, because of the <laughs> politics <laughs> surrounding it. Hey, we're here for the fandom. Um, but I totally, I just want you to know that I'm, I'm there with you <laughs> in terms of not being able to see that. Uh, I, hey, I know you are. Way. I know you are. I know where you're coming from. I get it. I do. Uh, I was just on Quora the other day and, and somebody asked me what I thought, why, why is so many so, people so against Shuri as the Black Panther? And I, I answered it and everything. There's a lot of like, um, controversy with that whole, with that, with that concept, like, like if you don't support Shuri as a Black Panther, you're some kind of like white devil or something. I don't know, but whatever. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, there's a lot of names you'll get called, right? That that uh, you're a misogynist, um, that that you're uh, anti-black, anti-whatever. But the, the the whole thing of that is is that if you look at the mechanics of it, she's a 16 year old girl. Let's just take everything else out of the equation. This doesn't seem plausible that a 16 year old girl could lead and unify tribes that are uh, very strong cultured people with their own leaders, right? That she'd probably be challenged all the time and that she wouldn't have the sort of inner wisdom that T'Challa had sort of gained hard won from the death of his own father, right? To learn those lessons about how to lead and to be a king. I, I don't know that you could just sort of magically bring Shuri all the way there on the express train, it would feel like she was very much a Mary Sue if you made her into the monarch of the country, an action hero boss that steps in the 50 cal, you know, fire and, and doesn't die and can beat up at anybody. It just it would feel kind of like a bit much is my take on it. 
Cyber, would they not have to give her almost like an Iron Man type Black Panther suit or something like that for her to even be effective in combat? I mean, well, yeah. I mean, honestly, yeah. Like, just like Lord Death was saying, you know, if you if you take in just the consideration that she's supposed to be a sixteen year old girl that is going to be trying to, you know, run a country at sixteen, I mean, you have some common sense, but you don't have all the leadership that you should have at that age. And you know, if you go by those statistics, yeah, it just doesn't seem possible her becoming the Black Panther. Uh, but at the same time, like you were saying, yeah, I would like with how the type of person she is, like she's the gadget girl, which I think is a great angle for her character. I love that fact that that was a big part of her character in the first film where she she designed all these, you know, outfits. She designed all the gadgets and all this stuff, which would make her uh, very like very much similar to like a Tony Stark type of character. And so to me, like. She would literally have to build, like like you were saying, an Iron Man suit that would give her the abilities of being like a, you know, six foot, you know, mature man that could take on what she needs to do. And at the same time, though, I think that keeping her as like the tech person that designs all the things, you know, kind of like an Alfred almost, like from D.C., I like that aspect of what Suri is. I think that's a great angle for her. And so to make her the next Black Panther, I just don't think that it's... It's not just that it's not plausible. I just don't see her being the next Black Panther. I see her more as as that gadget person who could be your backup. That's going to be making all the equipment for you so that you as, like, whoever they decide they want to have as Black Panther... She can be their backup and still giving them advice and giving them gadgets and stuff like that. That would be kind of like. I'm, I'm going to interrupt you, Cyber, to say that probably like two thirds of the fandom want to assassinate you right now for pigeonholing her in the woman in the chair seat. Um, look, I, I um, and I'm not going to say that I agree with them. It does seem like that is her role, more like an oracle sort of support figure in the mythology, and for her to suddenly rise to the the head of this head of state um, lacks. Well, it, I guess plausibility is a part of it, but there's also a part of it in that um, there's the, the life experience, right? She could be super smart, know all these different areas of science, hold all these different PhDs. We accept that in comic book characters all the time. I got 15 PhDs and I know how to stretch time and space and I could also make you a, you know, a club sandwich on the side. We, we get that all the time in comic books, but what Shuri will lack is the, the life experience that teaches you how to be a leader and to, to work with the various tribes. She's not just in a monarchy where it's just like, oh, I control one single unified territory. She's managing five tribes that come into conflict with each other, right? That, that have needs that she would have to balance. Uh, and um, I, I just don't think the emotional maturity and level of wisdom would be there. So it'd be interesting to see what they do. No, you know, I'm 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 probably going to have to just go ahead and mention in the uh, in the uh, description of this video that we had this discussion, just so I can get some extra views on this. Cyber, yeah, know? get it in there, man. Yeah, let people know. Yeah, we 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 had a whole conversation about how Shuri should not be the Black Panther. We'll get all kinds <laughs> of views on that. It'll be great. Um, but hey, guys, listen, I I um. I'll be honest with you. Um, I really want to just go ahead and jump into Spider-Man three and the trailer and whatnot and get into that and un- unravel it because um, I would not mind uh, having this show not take two hours long for once. 
Um, <laughs> it, it would be nice if we could wrap it up around like an hour and a half or so. You know what I mean? So I'm I'm here for it, Jeff. Whatever you want. Yeah, to do. yeah. At that point, let's go ahead and jump into Spider Man Three and do our let's watch it, let's react to the trailer and everything and whatnot. We'll do our opinions and then we'll we'll plug our our stuff and um we'll get the hell out of here. We'll t- we'll take it. We'll have we'll have an easy uh, an easy show. We won't we won't try to stretch this for three hours like usual. <laughs> I'm a fan of the mega discussions, but I, I realize people got lives they got to get to. Well, I'll be honest with you, man. Um, I use the headliner app uh, to um, to rip like little one minute clips of our podcast episodes that I can use as promotion material and stuff like that. And if you go over two hours with any of your shows, you can't do it. Like it won't work. Uh, like they won't allow right. it. Yep. So it'd be nice to just have one because like every every show <laughs> we've done for like the last six weeks has been like two well, hours then get on hours. with it yes <laughs> roll clip oh look at this this is a good one some suggest that parker's powers include the male spider's ability to hypnotize females stop come on <laughs> yes my spider lord <laughs> can we just like stay up here all day it is so crazy down there that's right, folks. Spider-Man is, in fact, Peter Parker. Listen, I did not kill Mysterio. The drones did. The drones that are yours. Does any part of you feel relieved about all this? What do you mean? Now that everybody knows, you don't really have to hide or lie to people. For the record, I never wanted to lie to you. But how do you tell someone that you're Spider-Man? Now everybody knows. But this isn't about me. This is hurting a lot of people. I've just been thinking about how to fix all of this. So, Peter, to what do I owe the pleasure? I'm sorry to bother you, sir. Please, we saved half the universe together. I think we're beyond you calling me, sir. Okay, Steven. That feels weird, but I'll allow it. When Mysterio revealed my identity, my entire life got screwed up. I was wondering if maybe you could make it so that he never did. Strange. Don't cast that spell. It's too dangerous. Fine. I won't. The entire world is about to forget that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Wait, everyone? Can't some people still know? That's not how the spell works. So MJ's gonna forget about everything we've ever been through? Stop tampering with the spell. Oh my God, Ned, he's my best friend. Oh, my Aunt May should really stop talking. What just happened? We tampered with the stability of space-time. The multiverse is a concept about which we know frighteningly little. You trying to live two different lives. The longer you do it, the more dangerous it becomes. Be careful what you wish for, Parker. Hello, Peter. Okay, 
how the hell would Dr. Octopus even know that that was Peter Parker? So, first off, let's say here, we think he's talking to another Peter Parker there. That's just how they edited it to make it look like he's talking to the Tom Holland Peter. Okay, okay, because I'm like trying to figure that one out there for a minute, and it didn't make any sense to me. I'm like, how the hell would he know that Tom Holland's Peter Parker is, is, is Peter Parker? Because even if you like, if you pay attention real closely to how it slides in from him saying that to the show and the picture of Peter all of a sudden transferring in the suit, you could see how the edit laid out. You could see that that wasn't the next screen that was supposed to come up. You could just you could tell. I could just tell. Well, digitally, visually, that scene with Doctor Octopus popping up and his tentacle going into the ground and everything looked amazing to me. Just amazing. Like, seriously, I love Alfred Molina. I really do. Um, another really great actor. But, okay, guys. Lord Deathman. Spider-Man 3 trailer. What do you think? I have to... I'm of two minds about this trailer, guys. So you're going to get some pretty hot takes in this discussion. I know that 99.9% of the fandom saw this trailer and they immediately lost their minds. Doctor Strange, Doctor Octopus, hints of the Green Goblin, um, Wong. You know, I, I am here for all of that. I'm an MCU fan. Nothing more, nothing less. However, I have concerns and I have reservations about what I saw. One of them really comes out of the idea of speculation culture and spoiler culture. We are in a, living in a time of extremely aggressive fandom. People have gone out for the last year and gotten the contents of this trailer, what's going to be happening in this movie, who's going to be featured in it. And for that reason, when I saw this trailer, I saw nothing new. Everything in this trailer that we saw, we expected to see if you'd been following the rumor beat, if you'd been following the spoiler beat or speculation. So that was kind of a letdown to me. So as a standalone piece of marketing, it's fine. It was great to see all of that new stuff. And I was just excited as the next fan. But on the other hand, I, I really do have to kind of speak out about what we're doing as a fandom with spoilers and speculation we're bringing ourselves to the point where we jump into a movie or a trailer knowing 99.9 percent .9 of what's going to happen in it and i for one am am not you know that's not the side of the fandom i want to be on the other things that i have um first off as a producer you've got to tip your hat once more to kevin feige for creating such an expansive franchise that is so engaging it is so interactive it really brings you into it this man is setting the example for all of hollywood what he has done is going to be puzzled and studied and followed forever that's that's a fact <laughs> but i'm a little concerned about the multiverse bringing in these characters from the old franchise, the Green Goblin. And I realize everyone, you know, loves those Sam Raimi films. I love them too. But the idea that um, you're kind of going to get these characters pulled into the multiverse, I think, sets a somewhat dangerous precedent in that the multiverse becomes this place where you can start pulling all sorts of rabbits out of your hat instead of doing the work of building up characters. So if you want the Green Goblin in, in your universe, oh, don't worry about um, an origin. Don't worry about, just go to the multiverse. He's, he's somewhere in there. 
we can pull them out. You want Professor X, you want the Phoenix, bring them in there. And the story mechanics become a little lazy. So that, that's my concern about the multiverse. And, you know, the last thing I'll say about this trailer is um, that I think, uh, you know, narratively in terms of the story that they were trying to set up, uh, I, I do feel that it was a little haphazard in terms of the characterization of Stephen Strange and this whole kind of thing where they're doing where he's kind of acting weird. Um, I have this piece of headcanon where I'm actually tying the latest episode of What If with uh, Strange Supreme and saying that that might be the Stephen Strange that you actually saw in this trailer and that we're dealing with a variant or, or an, an imposter from somewhere in the multiverse and not our actual Doctor Strange. So I know there's a lot to unpack in my feelings about it, but if I summarize, guys, I like the trailer as much as the next fan, but I was a little disappointed that it didn't have anything that didn't already come out of the rumor mill. And I also um, uh, have some concerns about the multiverse in terms of how it's going to be used moving forward. Cyber, do you have any opinions based off of what Lord Deathman put out there? Yeah, so, you know, that's one thing that, I knew going into this first teaser trailer, I knew that it was going to show everything that we've already. Oh, we lost Cyber there for a minute in mid sentence. Isn't that cool? <laughs> well, well hopefully. Is, oh, this happens, Lord Deathman. Uh, on Cyber's um, iPad or whatever that he uses, um, every like uh, it only allows him to go on for an hour at a time, and then it shuts off and turns back on. So he'll pop back on in one second. Okay. But um, I get where you're coming from, Lord Deathman. Um, you know, Grandmaster earlier today, when I had a conversation with him, I recorded with Grandmaster earlier today. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, cool. Grandmaster. Grandmaster jumped on with me and Alexis and uh, Yvonne Yvonne Rempel that you never met before, who's a guest on the MCU's Bleeding Edge. Um, and we did a show earlier today where we just talked about the Shang Chi trailers, the Eternals trailers, and the Spider-Man three trailer. Um, so, uh, grandmaster is on that is basically, you know, came, came up with the same type opinion that you had. Okay. He doesn't uh, like I, the multiverse angle. Uh, but yeah. cyber, go ahead, finish your thought. So what I was, as I was saying, as I got booted, which I don't know why I keep doing that. It's really annoying. But anyways, this, what I was saying was, uh, as I was going on there, I was basically saying that I knew that this teaser trailer, because it's a teaser trailer. I knew that it wasn't going to show anything that we hadn't already heard about. I just had a feeling of that because that's what teaser trailers usually are. Teaser trailers always bring us what we've already heard, what we've already seen. And I, I knew that we weren't going to get very much from this trailer. So I knew that they were going to show, give a little fan service to what we've already heard in this trailer. So I didn't have high expectations like Lord Deathman has on this trailer, being disappointed a little bit with the multiverse angle and all that stuff. I already knew that that's what they were going to do because that's just that's how they do trailers. Uh, I'm used to the first trailer always being the least or the weakest of the trailers, and then they always get a little better as they go along. So you know, and going into the whole multiverse deal. As, as Lord Deathman was talking about, you know, having, you know, uh, problems with it, you know, bringing in old other characters and bringing them in and stuff like that. I have a feeling the reason they're doing that is for twofold. One, it's because they, because of the pandemic, everything, they don't have enough time to really get things written the way they want it to do. So I think that this was kind of a fallback for them to use that information in the multiverse 
and to use that to kind of start off the multiverse. I don't think that's what the direction of the multiverse is going to be completely as we get further into it. I think we're going to see a huge dissidence or a big expansion as soon as we get Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. I think it's going to completely take us into a completely different direction in the multiverse, and then they're going to you know, steer away from using the old stuff that we've already seen. I think they're going to use that more you know, down towards, you know, as things expand in the universe, I think they might go back to it, but I don't think that's going to be their crutch and they're always going to be using that. I think it's just something they're using right now because that's what the fans are looking for. And with this whole pandemic, you know, people are looking for something that comforts them. And so I think that's the reason why they're going this route a little bit right here to give people a little fan service to get them back in the seats so that they can, you know, continue the MCU on and get back to that dynamic power that they had when Endgame came out. So that's kind of what my thoughts are on the whole multiverse thing and kind of like going what, you know, what Lord Deathman has said. I, I totally get where he's coming from. Uh, but it was kind of funny because as you were saying everything you were saying, Lord Deathman, it sounded exactly your explanation on the actual Spider-Man trailer you and the podcast the champions did. It was like <laughs> verbatim. It was hilarious. And so it was so nice to hear that, that hey, you did, haven't changed at all. It, it, at least at least I stayed on program, right? I, exactly, exactly. <laughs> hey, it was great. Cyber props for, for catching the episodes yeah, of the podcast The Champions. For, for catching the, the champions and what I had to say there. And I totally, I have to say, you know what? The points that you bring up around people sort of eating comfort food, in the form of fan service, they do make a lot of sense to me. So I'm not 100% un, in, untractable in my in my sort of views there, my the program that I'm bringing. And, and I'm not anti-multiverse. I just don't want to see the multiverse used as a crutch or a shortcut for lazier storytelling. Yes. And I feel that Sony has been making these overtures. Let's, yes. let's get real now. We, we could go all the way back to 2013. And the Sony hacks where Sony was trying to get a Sinister Six movie off the ground and they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. Let, let's let's look at that reality. And now they've got their own Spider-Verse, which is devoid of a Spider-Man at the moment. And they've been doing these uh, little ending stingers where the vulture from Homecoming shows up in, in the Morbius the trailer movie. Yep. So if they're trying to use this multiverse as a way of legitimizing the Sony universe, right? To make it a part of the MCU and make it all canon. I have to tell you, my friend, uh, with, with all the respect in the world, I'm not there for that. The Sony verse is what it is. And I'm glad people enjoy that. I enjoy it as well, but I, I don't need to see that kind of action figure banging around just so that we could do it without actually telling well-thought-out and great stories. Well, what about the whole premise that Sony themselves pushed for bringing back the Raimi characters and everything like that and bringing back these characters, like, that it was Sony themselves that, that inserted <laughs> yeah. themselves into it and told Marvel, like, that, we, yeah. want, we want this. That's how you get, and it does sound like, and, and again, I'm going to quote myself from the podcast of Champions, but it does <laughs> feel like, the deal with the devil that had to be made for us to get one more Tom Holland Spider-Man film. Sony's like, you want to do this? You got to bring in, you got to let us bring in all these other characters. And and the, 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 the gates must open wide. And again, for some fans, that's going to be great. For fans who really 
don't care about the character development. And I'm not saying this to deride anybody because some people read comic books and they skip right over the dialogue. They, they want the action scenes who got beat up in this episode. Did Superman use his eye beams to like roast somebody into nowhere? Like, and I get that, you know, you're there for the adrenaline, the action, but I think there's a core of the fandom that's really there for the story. We like how it's progressing. We like the build up to certain points. And we don't want to see that turn into, you know, character of the minute just because with each of the moments. It would totally destroy the legacy of the last decade plus that Kevin Feige has tried to build here. And I'm going on record saying that, Cyber. I, I, <laughs> talk to me, man. Talk to me. Where am I wrong in my logic here? Well, I don't think that it was it, that it's not, you know, you make good battle points. I understand where you're coming from. But at the same time, I don't think bringing these characters in is derailing anything. And it's not giving a good story. Because I think that in any good movie, reusing certain reusable characters is very essential to progress a story on. Because you think about it. Look at Terminator 1 and 2. They brought back Arnold Schwarzenegger's character from the first film, but made him a good guy. Now, if they hadn't redone that, decided to go a whole different direction, just do the T-1000, have totally somebody else play the good guy in the film, you would have not had a great-ass story as if Arnold hadn't come back to play that T-1000 to be a hero at this time. Okay. I feel it's the same scenario with this film. I think that bringing in old characters from, you know, other Sony there's things, you know, that Sony wants to pitch in. I think that I don't think that that's going to be a bad thing. I don't think that's going to derail from the story or not give a good storytelling because if you write really well around bringing those characters back, which come on, Marvel is really good at telling stories. They really have. Have they they have not had one bad story I feel in any of their films. They haven't. You know? They haven't. And, and, and you're right. My my concerns what, are unfounded. What about motherfucking Captain Marvel, man? Oh, <laughs> wait, before we get on the Captain Marvel tangent, no. I have I have one more question. I'm just kidding. I, I have I have a case study, you know, a scenario for cyber. OK, so you bring in Dr. Octopus from the Raimi movies into the MCU. Our Peter Parker, as in Tom Holland, meets that Dr. Octopus. That's a Dr. Octopus that belongs to Tobey Maguire. Our t- our, you know, Tom Holland has not met. Dr. Octopus yet, but now he's going to meet him through some multiverse vortex, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe that'll be a personal battle between Maguire and that octopus, but our Tom Holland Spider-Man has been exposed to that character. So if you want to reintroduce Dr. Octopus into this narrative, you can't. You've cut that off because our Tom Holland already knows about him and could theoretically manipulate the future moving forward to never even encounter him. That's now, right. That could, be, that could be Sony's way of saying, you know what? We already did Octop- Dr. Octopus. We're not going to do him with Tom Holland. So this is kind of cool. You know, we'll bring him back as a cameo because we don't have any plans of doing, um, you know, a Dr. Octopus. But that takes that character off the board effectively is the point I'm trying to make in terms of any kind of reinvention, a new actor that could be playing him. Because it's like, dude, I saw this gimmick already coming from the multiverse. I saw all eight of your legs two movies ago. Not a surprise to me, man. Talk to me about that. Talk Sony, to me about that. Sony is dominating this relationship with Marvel. I think they really are. Like they're, I mean, they're basically, they're. It almost seems to me like they're. I mean, look, let's be honest here. 
we never we never got any kind of public details as to what they came up with 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 a new sharing agreement with Tom Holland this this next time when it came time for them to work out the sharing agreement or whatever. I'm not even sure if they finalized it yet or not. Or like I mean I I never you know I knew that they were talking about it but I never heard anything. Um but I mean as far as, as what I what I know from what I know from rumors and everything and whatnot is that it was Sony themselves that pushed to put um the the other Spider-Mans into this film. They're the ones who wanted to, you know, include these characters into the Spider-Man film. Now, I'll be honest with you. I liked I, I like the fact that Spider-Man 3 is the second installment of this multiverse trilogy with WandaVision and Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. I think from a comic book standpoint, guys, like honestly, look, when I was a kid, I had probably at one point in the nineties, I was probably, I probably had five different Spider-Man comic book subscriptions at, at the same time. I had the amazing Spider-Man web of Spider-Man, spectacular Spider-Man and regular Spider-Man, just Spider-Man. Yeah. Like, and like, I mean, I was a major Spider-Man fan and I'll tell you one thing about Spider-Man in the comics. He collaborates with everybody. He goes into space and fights for the, you know, during the infinity gauntlet, He's, he goes with the Fantastic Four occasionally. He's a reserve Avenger, and he goes on Avenger missions. Um, and you know. he's become a character. Not to interrupt you, Jeff, this is respectful. Yeah. Not only are you on track with your description of Spider-Man, but in the last, say, two decades, he's also become very much a multiversal character. There are tons of variations on Spider-Man that come directly out of a Spider-Verse, and that started in the comic books. That wasn't in that animated feature from Sony, as good as that was. That's an idea that we've been living with since Shattered Dimensions, since all sorts of comic books where you have clones of him, different variants of it. So I'm totally on board with the idea that this movie takes us to the multiverse I think you're the moderate voice here on the panel, whereas Cyber is pro and I'm probably more con to neutral. I just am a little leery and I want to see more out of trailer two before I fully endorse this multiverse strategy. But I do have a lot of faith in Kevin Feige. I know that if Sony pushed this on his plate and said, dude, yeah, I think we need Andrew in here and I think we need Tom in here or, you know, or Toby in here rather, or you ain't getting Tom. If I had to give it to one guy to figure out how to make that work in a superhero film and satisfy my discerning ass, that would be Kevin Feige. So (laughs) as much as I am worried, I do feel a sense of um, assuredness that since he's at the reins, this is all going to work out in a way that makes sense to the overall MCU narrative. Well, my point was simply just the fact that going off the comics, knowing that Spider-Man is always constantly working with Punisher, Daredevil, Ghost Rider, the X-Men, everybody. You know what I mean? Like during yeah, the comics. Captain America, um, Wolverine. Yeah, yeah. So at that point, I love the whole concept of him and Doctor Strange together. Like, you know what I mean? To to like to, to a casual fan, I can see where they would wonder like, why the hell would, would Peter Parker be messing with Doctor Strange? But from a comic book standpoint, it makes perfect sense. Um, and I love the collaboration. I love the idea of Doctor Strange being in this film. I'm excited. I think this is going to be the best Spider-Man film that we've gotten out of the three Spider-Man films, without question. I didn't think Spider-Man 2 was all that great. I really didn't. I'll be honest with you. I thought Spider-Man 1 was 
okay. Like, you know, very grounded, you know, like good movie, but very grounded. Um, and, uh, like, I really feel like this is going to be a blockbuster. I mean, as far, like as big of a blockbuster as you can have right now during this COVID box office, you know, environment we're living in, you know, I feel like honestly, <clears throat> we'll see what happens with Shang-Chi. I think Chang Chi's going to do better black box office wise than Black Widow did. I do. Um, yeah, agreed. And I, and I think Spider Man will likely top Shang Chi's box office. Oh, yes. let's, let's not let's not pretend that Spider Man is not the prince of the MCU. You know, you have a king in Iron Man, but Spider Man is ice cream, and nobody doesn't like ice cream. No, I mean honestly, this might be the this might be the movie, the Spider-Man three movie might be the one that breaks this box office, you know, mire, and actually ends up doing a billion dollars, depending on what happens with like you know the this new variant of COVID and whatever you know what I mean, like uh, mandates and whatever. But um, cyber, as far as the trailer itself goes, I think it's exciting. I think it's interesting. Um, it's fun. I mean, what do you think? And and besides that, do you think Marvel leaked the trailer themselves? <laughs> I, I think it's a great trailer. I, I thought it was a really good first teaser trailer. Uh, I can't wait for more trailers to come out uh, to show us a little bit more and stuff like that. But I definitely thought it was a really good uh, first trailer. Uh, I think they probably did uh, just to kind of screw with people and then release it the next day. Um, just for the hell of it, because, you know, so many people were, have been asking for it. So many people were, you know, saying, oh, I've already seen it and this and that. So I'm, I, I could totally see them doing that, um, you know, just to kind of like bump up business and to make it the most popular trailer to be watched. I mean, they, you know, it, it has the biggest watch time of any trailer now oh, yeah. for MCU film, 334,000 views uh, within 24 hours. Which is really awesome. I think it has and, forty million views on like the uh, on YouTube right now. The trailer. Yeah. So I mean, it, it got more views in twenty four hours than Infinity War and Endgame uh, did. So I think that's you know showing a lot. There's a lot on this film to be super good. Um, but I I just want to throw out there that a lot of people I've been hearing people talk about is that they think that Doctor Strange in this, the one that we're seeing messing with the trains, is again a Mephisto rumor going around. I don't know if you've heard this, but yeah. that's what a lot of people are saying again, that they think <laughs> that this is going to be a Mephisto thing again. I, I haven't heard that, but I'm not surprised that it's a thing. Mephisto for the win. Yeah, because I, I want to see Mephisto, damn it, in the MCU, I do. I'm, I'm freaking telling you right now, I'm still pissed we didn't get Mephisto in WandaVision. Yeah, so I mean, because it's linked to WandaVision, and because it's part of Doc, you know, this is part of a trilogy of the you know multiverse of madness. the The logical thing for Marvel to do is to make it Mephisto, because that would be the smartest link to go with making this all happen and work. Because uh, I actually I saw a uh, somebody from like a one of the a reliable source that is friends with somebody from Marvel. They posted online, uh, you know, and and you know, like I said, this is they said this is actually from somebody that works that was working on Spider Man No Way Home, that they said that Mephisto is confirmed to be in the film, that he is one hundred percent confirmed, but they're not they're keeping it quiet, except for telling a few people 
that that he is a part of the film. That he, if you look at the credits, if you know, if you were able to look at the credits when they when they filmed it and put it together, that you'll see that Mephisto is in the the credits, saying that somebody is playing Mephisto. Well, I will tell you this: um, if in the next trailer Wanda's in it, people are going to go fucking batshit, yeah, crazy over bananas, it. bananas. Yeah, because I'll this tell you, has the potential to be one of the biggest superhero movies ever. Not yeah. just one of the biggest Spider-Man movies, but superhero films ever. And if Mephisto shows up, I it's a guaranteed classic. Well, I, you're right, Lord Deathman. This is going to be a powerful, powerful film. Um, the way things worked out with COVID and everything, and the the uh, the pushing <laughs> off of the releases of all the different Marvel properties and everything. The way things have worked out, it's just worked out in a way where, I mean, I, I have to believe that they that that they purposely slotted the Eternals to come out before Spider Man three because they already know that the Eternals movie is like kind of, uh, like you know what I mean? Like they don't know how the fans are going to react to it, so they're like, oh, we're going to put this in front of Spider Man three. <laughs> well, putting it after Spider Man three would be like putting it in front of a speeding train. You know, it would just get demolished <laughs> and they'd be cannibalizing their, their own sort of, um, you know, audience there. Well, that's a whole other con- a whole other uh, conversation. It is. It is. I think I think that uh, I think that th- that that uh, the whole Eternals deal is is just another attempt by Marvel Studios to go in a different direction with things and try yeah. something different. Um, and whether or not it's going to work. I mean, it's a Marvel Studios like, you know, production. Of course, it's going to work. Uh, people are going to go watch it, but are they going to be able to understand what the hell's going on? I don't know. Based off the trailers, probably not. Um, you know, it's very confusing. But what I like about Spider-Man Three, what I like about that teaser trailer, is that it's not confusing. You know what the hell you're getting from Spider-Man, even right. if it's a multiverse <clears throat> movie. It's Spider-Man, you know, you're getting. And Jeff, I, I don't know if you'd agree with the idea that it was told so simplistically what was going on in that trailer as to sort of be a little too elementary for us as comic book readers. And it was designed for kind of like a lower level of audience member to kind of understand. I think that on. that's 100 percent correct. And yeah. I think that um, they're, they're simplifying the multiverse um, purposely. And they'll probably do it again in the next trailer, too. Um, because they want people to be able, they're learning from their other experiences. I mean, they know that people don't understand what the hell's going on with the Eternals. Um, and with this, with, let's be honest here. Um, they basically have put together the sinister six uh, of a sorts in this film. I mean, you got, um, the lizard supposedly is in it. Um, you've got electro, you've got, man. Sandman, yep, I heard that Sandman's going to be in it. We've got, uh, I mean, we got everybody but Craven, essentially. Right. Even possibly Mysterio. People still aren't giving up on the idea that he might not be dead and be showing up for this one as well. That's very true. Very good point. Um, but look, why don't we go ahead and wrap it up here, guys? We're at an hour and a half. That's a great time. Um, you know, uh, we could go on and talk about Spider-Man 3 for another hour. We could. But let's save it for the next episode. And uh, let me just really quick uh, point out that I really appreciate Lord Deathman coming on. Alexis, even though we only had her for a minute, coming on. Um, Lord Deathman, 
would you like to please go ahead and let everybody know about uh, Sakar and the podcast of champions? Absolutely. You can join our online community at sakar.freeforums.net. We've got a great community of fans there, not just for the MCU, but for DC, Lord of the Rings, Star Trek, a whole bunch of things going on there. You also definitely want to check out our podcast on YouTube. We do reviews. We do movie reviews. We do trailer reviews. We do open discussions, uh, fandom. You can even join the show if you like. And that's YouTube. Just do a search for Podcast of Champions. Look for the iconic S logo with lightning coming through it. That's us. So check out. Please do check out the show. Subscribe, like, do all the sharing type things. And go ahead and jump into the comments if you want to. But um, as always, you know, I want to thank Jeff for allowing us to do these plugs on his show. He is a consummate professional, always a great gentleman, and I love being on the MCU's Bleeding Edge. So thanks for having me, guys. Well, we yeah, we are very welcome. And look, I wouldn't be anywhere if I didn't have cyber having my back. So let's just be clear there because, um, you know, honestly, um, at the end of the day, this is a team show. Um, we may be missing Perry Ramsey, um, this week, unfortunately. Um, but, um, he's in our thoughts as always, Perry, we'll hopefully see you next week, but, um, cyber is my man. I can always rely on him. He's always there. And, um, cyber, do you want to go ahead and, you know, as always, maybe just let people know about your actual content that you do on your own. Of course. So yeah, if you enjoy our content on here on the MCU's building edge, you can find us, me and Jeff, on other many other social media platforms uh, such as Rizzle, Clapper, TikTok, all those great little social media things, you know, Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we're on there doing little, you know, videos and stuff like that, so definitely check those out. Of course, you can check me out if you want to check out my solo content, which is under Cybernetic Shark under YouTube as well. You can check that out where I do all kinds of cool stuff, you know, very similar to this, except the on a bigger, broader spectrum of different films and so forth. So you can definitely check that out, too. I'm always posting usually weekly on there as well, as long uh, along with doing this weekly awesome podcast with my cohort, Mr. Jeff Saboda. And, uh, yeah, you can definitely, yeah, definitely check out, you know, Jeff's stuff out on, uh, on Rizzle, too, as well. He's always on there doing awesome content when it's not giving him a hard time. Uh, and also on Clapper, he shares our reviews on there and stuff like of these podcasts and stuff. So definitely check those out too. But yeah, if you uh, enjoy any of our content, definitely check out our other solo stuff. It's uh, pretty fun stuff, and uh, we enjoy doing it. Yes, and we have got to we have got to figure out how to get Cyber onto the podcast of Champions one of these days. We got to. Yeah, it's got to happen because Cyber is a big fan of the podcast of Champions. He enjoys the show, and he wants to be on there. I know he does. We um, would love to have you on there, Cyber, and I say that in all sincerity. Uh, Jeff is already an honorary champion. What are you waiting for? Yeah, I'll be honest with you, man. I really appreciate being an honorary champion. I do. It's it's nice being a part of the team. It really is. Like, I've gotten to a point where, I mean, that's why I was so pissed when I fell asleep the other day and I woke up and realized I missed the show because, like, these these guys are starting to become, like, uh, you know, like uh, distant family members and shit. And, uh you know, like I have a lot of fun on there. It's a great show. I mean, it really is. Um, I'll tell you right now, I could not be happier with the fact that I came across Arch and Grandmaster and everything and ended up on Sakar and uh, Cyber's on Sakar. And we ended up having this dynamic of this relationship where um, 
we're able to all collaborate together on our different platforms and everything like that. And it's, it's, it's awesome. And I'll tell you right now, Lord Deathman, you can go on Rizzle and check yourself. The, the, <laughs> the podcast of champions is a popular hashtag on there. You're on there. Standing. Lord Deathman is a hashtag on Rizzle. I'm getting syndicated from beyond the grave. Yes. Thank you. I'm, Jeff. I'm doing a lot of publicity for Sakar, man. I'm telling you right now. I really we're am doing the same for the MCU's bleeding edge. You channel. are. Yes. But um, yeah, I mean, look, everybody, um, of course, we always very much value all of you who end up watching these shows after the live streams are over. The 90% of our views come after the live streams. Um, so, you know, uh, all of you who end up watching this, you know, when it's tomorrow or Friday or this weekend, we really appreciate you. Thank you. Please subscribe to us. We are really, really, really trying to make sure that we hit that first 500 subscribers. And it's a bitch, but we're going to get there. And we need every single person out there to support us and help us get there. We're at almost 60 right now, and we're trying to compete with the podcast of champions. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, I want to bury them. So, it's a friendly competition, everybody. Yes. Bury it them. It is. But um, anyways, again, this is the MCU's Bleeding Edge for Lord Deathman, for Cybernetic Shark, for Alexis, Jeff S. True Knowledge in the house. Peace out, everybody. God bless you. Peace.